Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. I wanted to thank Steve Thompson for preaching last week. He got a very short notice uh, as the flu hit me. And uh, so... Uh, I appreciate him being willing and able to do that. And Larry's on call right now in case I pass out in the middle of the sermon. So that that's uh, good as well. I just told him, pick up wherever. It doesn't really matter. They, they won't notice one way or another. So uh, <coughs> uh, take out your Bibles. Turn over to John chapter 13. <clears throat> We're going to talk this morning about betrayal. How do you react? What do you do when somebody lets you down? When somebody betrays you, when somebody that you depended on turns their back on you, how do you respond to that? And we're going to look at six things that you need to do when you've been betrayed this morning. Now, everybody in this room has been betrayed at one time or another, sometimes very severely, uh, sometimes in minor ways, but we've all been betrayed. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation in Costa Rica, and we were going to this waterfall that was at the top of a mountain. And we turned to pull in. We didn't know how far we had to go because it was straight up this hill on this road that wasn't really a road. And uh, you're going up this sheer mountain cliff, and there's a sign that says waterfall, two and a half kilometers. And, uh, you know, a kilometer is about six-tenths of a mile, so you figure, you know, it's not that far. So we go about three miles, and we think, well, we must have missed it somewhere. And we're right on, the, you know, this sheer mountain and everything. And then there's another sign that says waterfall, just two more kilometers. And so we go about another three miles and we're about ready to give up again. And then there's another sign that says waterfall, two more miles, not kilometers. And we're thinking, okay, you know, they're playing us here. You know, something's going on. We finally get up to the waterfall. We, we pay uh, uh, money to get in. We get there and there's two waterfalls we're supposed to see. One of them's dried up because it's the dry season. And the other one is so far away, you can barely see it from where you're at because it's on a whole other mountain on the other side of the thing there. And so I felt personally betrayed at that point, you know. I felt like I've been betrayed about every way that you could have been betrayed. Well, we're going to look over to John chapter 13 today. And this is that famous story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet right before he is crucified. And we're going to talk about six things to do when you're betrayed. Now, to start off, the first thing to do when you're betrayed is that you need to admit that you've been betrayed, that you're hurt, and that you're grieving. Betrayal is something that hurts a lot, but sometimes we don't like to admit that. We don't want to admit that it hurt us or that it scarred us or that this is something that, that was very painful to us. But sociologists will tell you that when you have been betrayed by someone, you go through the classic stages of grief. Uh, just as if someone had died. And so the beginning stages of grief are what? Shock, denial, and anger. And that's exactly what happens when you feel like somebody has betrayed you. If you're married to someone and you, and you expected to, to live with them forever and you find out that they've committed adultery against you, then you feel betrayed. You feel very personally as if, as if uh, that hurt and that grief is there. If you've worked at a company your entire life and given everything to it, and then a couple of years for retirement, you get downsized, you feel betrayed and there's hurt and grief and loss. 
If you've been abused by someone, there's that hurt and grief and loss. If a friend gossips about you, if friends just don't show up when you need them the most, then you feel hurt and betrayed, and there is a grief. There's shock that they acted that way. There's denial. Surely this couldn't have happened. And then there's just sheer anger. And so it's okay to admit, yeah, I feel angry. You see, the Bible never says you shouldn't be angry. A lot of people think that. But it doesn't say that at all. It says, don't let your anger lead to sin. So you're going to get angry, but it's then what do you do with your anger that counts? And so admit you're hurting, admit you're grieving, admit something bad has happened. Let yourself be angry. In John chapter 13, Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. And look down at verse 21, verse 21. And let's see Jesus' reaction to knowing Judas was going to betray him. After he said this, Jesus was greatly troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew that this was part of Scripture, that he was going to be betrayed before uh, he would go to the cross. And yet still, when it happened, one of his trusted friends, even though he knew it was going to happen, he was still greatly troubled by it. How could somebody that had walked with you for three years and loved you and heard the messages and seen the things that Judas had done betrayed him? And does anybody remember how Judas would ultimately betray Jesus? With a kiss. The the almost sign of friendship, going up and kissing someone on the cheek. That was the actual betrayal. And we're told that Jesus was deeply troubled in spirit because he was betrayed. It's okay to admit when someone has let you down and hurt you and turned their backs on you and betrayed you. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to grieve. It's a natural reaction. I was uh, reading a a news publication the other day called Us Magazine. And uh, there was an article in there about Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively having uh, having a baby. You know, they're, they're not only a Hollywood power couple, they're a pretty good-looking power couple, too, you know, uh, as you're in there. Well, Ryan Reynolds, in the article, talked about how he was betrayed when the baby was born. And he said, as I've grown and become famous, he said, I've limited myself to a very small circle of friends. And he said, I've done that because there's only a few people I found out I could trust that weren't in it for something else. And he said, so when the baby was born, I immediately sent all these pictures to this small circle of friends. He said, I'm only talking about three or four people that have been with me since I was a kid. And he said, a week later, all these magazine tabloids came out with pictures that I had sent to one of my friends on there because they'd sold it to the newspapers. He said, I was shocked. I was hurt. I felt betrayed. I was angry. That just happens when you've been betrayed. You feel those ways. So the first thing, admit your hurt and grief. You're not going to get past it until you admit that's how it feels. The second step in dealing with betrayal is to try to understand what may have caused it. To try to understand what may have caused it. Why do people act the way that people do? Now, that doesn't always mean that, that because you understand it, it makes it right. Maybe they act the way they do because they're, they're a selfish jerk or something like that. Oh, now I understand. Uh, that's, that's why they did what they did. Maybe you were downsized because there's unfeeling bureaucrats that don't care anything about their bottom line and they can hire somebody less than you and they could care less. Uh, but to understand why something happened. 
I always try to ask myself that in any situation. I've worked on it for a lot of years, and it's actually has helped in a lot of situations. I was pulling into the church parking lot last week, uh, the new entrance here, and uh, I was up by uh, Hirschburn Lane. But right before you get there, there's a turn-in to the church, a new turn-in. I had my signal on. I had my signal on for a block or so. And when I got up to that entrance, I, I put on my brakes and turned in the parking lot. The car behind me starts slamming on the horn. I turned around, and, he, and the person's looking at me, you know, going, what are you doing? And I'm going, I've got my blinker on. I'm turning. What do you mean, what, what am I doing? And then I asked myself, well, why did that person act that way? Were they just an idiot? And I said, okay, well, you know, maybe that's the reason they did it. But then it occurred to me, no, people, when they're in that turning lane, are thinking you're going all the way up to Hirschburn Lane. And so when I braked, it scared them. And their reaction to being scared was to slam on the horn and go, what are you doing? And so suddenly I had an entire different perspective. I didn't want to chase them down and beat them up any longer, you know. And, uh, you know, she's probably in her 70s. I think I could have taken her, you know. But, but uh, you know, but just trying to understand why people react the way they do makes a big difference. Look at verse 2 of chapter 13. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So why do people act like they do? Well, right here in verse 2, we're told that Judas, one of the reasons he's doing what he's doing is that he's being prompted by Satan, that Satan has entered into him. Twice in chapter 13, we're told that Satan has entered into Judas Iscariot. And so Judas is behaving this way for a lot of reasons. Maybe Jesus didn't turn out to be the Messiah he thought he was going to be. Everyone, all the disciples thought when Jesus came, he was going to rule in power and glory. But instead, Jesus is talking about, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to be betrayed. And, and it wasn't the Messiah they were thinking about. So maybe he was disappointed. Uh, we're told in another verse that Judas was a thief uh, that loved money. So maybe he sold Jesus out for money. But why did Judas behave the way that he did? And then to ask yourself the question, did I have any part in this? What part might I have played in the betrayal uh, that's going on? Did Jesus have any part in what was going on here? Look at verse 18. Surely Jesus had nothing to do with this. Jesus said, I'm not referring to uh, all of you, uh, for I know who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. A thousand years before Jesus was ever born, Scripture predicted that Jesus was going to be betrayed. It wasn't Jesus' fault, but it was going to happen. One of the twelve were going to betray him. And so in some sense, Scripture was being fulfilled regardless of who had done it. But just to try to understand what's happening, what's going on, why do people behave the way that they do? So the first thing then is to admit you're hurting, admit that, that a wrong has been done. Second, to try to understand why it may have happened. And then the third thing in dealing with betrayal is to look to God for your acceptance and self-esteem. Look to God for your acceptance and self-esteem. Whenever you've been betrayed, people always feel like maybe it was all my fault and I'm worthless and I'm not a good person now. So when someone has adultery committed against them, what do they think? Well, maybe I wasn't the right kind of spouse, or maybe I should have done this. This is all my fault. And so you begin to question that. You begin to feel less about yourself. People in an abusive relationship say, well, I'm no good. Maybe I deserved it. Uh, but in any kind of betrayal, 
Uh, if a friend gossips about you, well, maybe I wasn't a good enough friend or maybe I hurt them. If friends don't show up when you were there, maybe it's because of the kind of person I am. And we always tend to start doubting ourselves and to think less of ourselves. One of the ways Jesus got through his betrayal is that he knew exactly who he was and what God wanted him to do. Look at verse 3 of, of uh, chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he would come from God, and that he was returning to God. So Jesus had the big picture. He knew what was going on here. His self-esteem was not in whether or not Judas was going to betray him. It hurt him. He was deeply troubled by it. But, but Jesus knew that this was all the plan of God, and he was following through with it. Then look at verse 31. When he was gone, this is talking about Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son as in himself, and he will glorify him at once. Where is Jesus looking for his glory and self-esteem? God. He's not looking for it in Judas. If you are looking for your self-esteem and acceptance in another person... People are sinful human beings, and even the best of them, your mom, your dad, your spouse, your children, will end up letting you down sometimes. Your self-esteem cannot be found in other people because that is a dead-end trap. So you put everything that you own in your self-esteem in the person that you married, and then they cheat on you, or they want a divorce, or they die. And then you feel what's left. That was my life. That was my acceptance. That was my self-esteem. You put your entire worth in your children and pour everything you have into them. And then your children grow up and they move out and they marry somebody else. You put everything that you have into another person, a good friend, and then your good friend isn't there when you might need them the most. You can't allow your self-esteem to be built on other people. Your self-esteem has to come from God. No matter how hard somebody may have betrayed you or hurt you, the only person that can make you feel less about yourself is you. They can can do things against you. They can behave poorly. They can do things to hurt you. But only you can make yourself feel less. And what you need to understand is you were created in the image of God. You are a child of God. God loves you so much that Jesus died on the cross for you. The Son of God literally died because you're that important to Him. And that's where your self-esteem has to come from. Not from other people or what they say about you or think about you or how they treat you because that's a dead-end street. It's got to come from God. Number four, the fourth thing to do when you're betrayed is to forgive the person and treat them with respect. Now notice, forgiveness is the fourth thing, not the first thing. What happens if the first thing you do when you've been betrayed is you try to forgive the person? It's not going to work very well, is it? Because you're angry, you're shocked, you're betrayed, and forgiveness just doesn't come very natural in that situation. So what you have to do is the other. Okay, I am, I am angry. I've tried to understand it, and I've come up with your selfish jerk. Uh, You know, uh, now I'm looking to God for my acceptance and my self-esteem. And after you've done all of that, then you can finally get to the forgiveness thing. 
Now, I need to talk about two things here for just a second. What is forgiveness and what forgiveness is not. Webster's Dictionary defines forgiveness as this way. To stop feeling angry and resentful towards another for an offense, to set aside the debt that you are owed because of that offense. So somebody has hurt you, you are angry and resentful, and you have a right to be paid for the debt that they hurt you with. You're angry, resentful, and they owe you a debt. Forgiveness is to cancel that debt. I'm not going to let you hurt me longer by not forgiving you. When you don't forgive someone, who's hurt the most? You are. So you can carry around the rest of your life anger and resentment at another person, and it's hurting nobody but you. They probably haven't thought of you in the last month. You know, and you've been angry at them every day or something like that. And so it's only hurting you, but you set it aside and you cancel the debt. Now, why would anybody do that? You do it for this reason, because that's the way Jesus treated you. When you didn't deserve it, when you should have gone to hell, Jesus canceled your debt, set aside your sin, and forgives you. And so you forgive others not because they deserve it and not because it's right, but because that's the way God treats you. And that's the way the children of God act. So now, that's what forgiveness is. Canceling the debt, setting aside, I'm no longer going to be angry about this hurt. And that's something that's a process. It doesn't just happen when it deals with emotion. But what is forgiveness not? This is what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not saying what the person did was okay. It's not saying that at all. What the person did may have been terribly bad. Forgiveness isn't saying it's not. Forgiveness isn't saying it's now okay. It's not saying that either. It's not saying there aren't any consequences to behavior. Behavior have consequences. Forgiveness is saying, for my part, I am forgiving you and wishing you the best, and I'm setting aside the debt that you canceled against me. And so, does Jesus do that anywhere in our scripture with Judas? Look back to verse 2. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas to scare the son of Simon to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was turning to God. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew it was Judas that was going to betray him. And he took off his clothes, wrapped a towel around him, got down on his knees, and washed the dirty feet of his betrayer. That's forgiveness. That goes above and beyond. How could you do that? Somebody you know is going to betray you you're washing their dirty feet. But that's forgiveness. Canceling the debt, not allowing yourself to continue to be hurt by what someone else has done to you. And treating that person then with respect. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that every time you forgive someone, they're going to accept forgiveness. You know, we've got this Pollyanna idea that if you forgive someone, they accept it and everything's fine. Some people aren't going to accept that forgiveness. And so you forgive them and treat them with respect and you try to go on with your life. That brings us to the, to the next thing, the fifth thing in dealing with betrayal. 
Attempt reconciliation, but don't let them keep hurting you. Attempt reconciliation, but don't allow them to keep hurting you. Now, here's the question that would immediately come up. Why would I attempt reconciliation? It's their fault. They did it. They hurt me. They betrayed me. Why would I attempt reconciliation with them? Because when you were lost and going to hell and you had no chance of saving yourself, Jesus suffered and died on the cross for you when you sinned against him. He took the initiative and died for you for one reason, because he felt you were that valuable. He didn't care about your behavior. He cared about your value and his, your value meant that he was going to die because of your behavior. It was because of relationship. We have to understand that relationships trump everything else. And we need to try to reconcile with people, even if they have hurt us. Does Jesus do that anywhere in our scripture passage? Well, look over to verse 22. Verse 22. So Jesus has just told them in 21, I'm going to be betrayed. His disciples stared at one another at a loss. To which of them he meant? One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, Ask him who he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, It's the one with whom I dipped the piece of bread in this dish. And dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. The entire story up to this point is Jesus telling the disciples three different times, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be betrayed. He washes their feet. He tells them he knows everything going on. Judas had ample opportunity to turn around. He was being offered reconciliation during this particular time. You don't have to do this. I know you're going to betray me. You don't have to do it. It's the one I'm giving the bread to. I'm giving it to you. You don't have to do this. You attempt reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. Attempting reconciliation doesn't mean it's going to work. Now, sometimes it will. Sometimes you'll go to a person and say, I want you to know you really hurt me. And they may have a lot of different responses. One response might be, well, I never even knew I hurt you. What did I do? Another response might be like, you know, I know, and I'm so sorry. I was such an idiot. Another response might be, well, you know, tough on you. But your job is to attempt the reconciliation. But after the attempt at reconciliation, you don't just allow the person to keep hurting you then. You don't keep yourself in a situation where you keep getting hurt. And so if you're in an abusive situation, you need to get out right now. You never allow that to happen again. But you forgive people if they want to be forgiven. But if their pattern continues, you just don't allow them to keep hurting you. Was Jesus going to allow Judas to keep hurting him? Look back to our scripture passage again, down to verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus dips the bread and says, the one that's going to be betraying me is the one I give the bread to. He hands it to Judas. Judas takes the bread. We're told Satan enters into him. And then look at what Jesus says. Well, what you're about to do, then go do quickly. I've done all I can do. I've made all of my attempts, and if you're going to do it, then go do it. He's not going to allow himself to keep being hurt over and over again. 
That doesn't mean you, you stop treating the person with respect. You do. If you're around them, you treat them with respect. You're always open to reconciliation. But some people aren't going to change. Some people aren't going to admit they were wrong. Some people are going to keep hurting you. And then you need to step away from the situation. And that brings us to the last thing when it comes to reconciliation. Live a renewed life of freedom and love. You've gone through a process now. You've admitted you were angry. You've, you've tried to understand what was going on. You've forgiven the person. You've tried to reconcile. And the whole thing comes down to verses 34 and 35. So Judas leaves the room. And look at what Jesus says in verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, isn't that interesting? You've got to keep these verses in context. Judas has just left to betray Jesus. And as Judas leaves the room, the first thing Jesus says is, the way people are going to know you're my disciples is when you love one another. He was trying to love Judas. Judas wouldn't take it. He wouldn't accept it. But he was trying to be loved. And that's all you can do. You see, it's about relationship. It's loving God and loving people. Relationships trump everything else. And so for Jesus here, even after Judas had left, he reminds the disciples, you know, one day you're going to look back. Judas is treated pretty rough in Scripture. Every time he's mentioned, it's Judas who would betray Jesus. How would you like that said about you every time something was said about you? But Jesus is trying to tell them, no, it's about love. It's about pulling together. It's about caring for people. And the best you can do is try to extend that. In another church I used to pastor, there was a a man in the church who was a minister. And uh, he had become separated from his daughter because his daughter married someone he didn't want her to marry. And he told her not to marry that person, that he didn't think it was right. She married him anyway. Turned out to be a very good marriage. They had few kids, very happy family. Things went really well. But he never forgave her for marrying him when he told her not to. And so he was having a birthday party, and I'd gone to the birthday party. His daughter and her husband and the grandkids show up, and he got up and went in the bedroom until he left. And when they were leaving, I was talking to the daughter, and she said, you know, I'll be back at Christmas, and he'll go in the bedroom but I'm going to keep coming back. Now, there's someone doing all that they can do. Uh, And both sides felt betrayed. But at some point, relationship and love has to trump everything. In our scripture, Jesus reminds us of that, that love is the way we'll know we're his disciples. We're all going to be betrayed. And when we are, the way we react to that betrayal is going to be the most important thing. Ed Young Jr. is a pastor of Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas. And when he was in college, he played for Florida State University's basketball team. And he said he was all excited to get on the basketball team. But when he got to Florida State, there was a guy on the team who found out that he was a preacher's kid. So he made fun of him every day. And he would treat him really bad. And he would cuss at him. And put, uh, you know, inappropriate pictures in his locker and everything he could uh, to try to make him look bad. And 
And Ed Young said, I never knew what to do, so I just always treated him with respect. And uh, I would just throw the pictures away. I would always be polite to him no matter what he did. He said, but I really hated that guy a lot. And he said, then we had a reunion uh, 20 years later. And he said, I went back to the basketball team reunion, and that guy was there, and he walked up to me, and he said, hey, Ed, I'm a Christian now. And I thought, yeah, I bet you are. And uh, he said, he looked at me, and he said, I'm a Christian because of you. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I went out of my way to humiliate you, and all you did was treat me with respect. And there was one day after I was out of college, I wanted to know why, and I thought about it, and I gave myself to Christ. You see, my friends, every person on this planet is special to God. They're his children. And we need to understand, even when we've been hurt and betrayed, relationship trumps all else. You don't let people keep hurting you, but you treat everyone with love and respect and pray that one day, even the most angry and and vicious people among us could find the love and grace of God because they too are his children. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for your grace. Help us, Father, in very tough situations to try to deal with these situations in the best way that we can with love and respect. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. And I guess the first thing I would say is, is to look at your life and say, is there somebody here I need to begin that process that we've talked about today. Maybe just to admit you've been hurt by them. Maybe to go to them and say, you hurt me. Maybe to find forgiveness. But you look at where, who are some people in my life? What do I need to do to begin that process with them? Because you're never going to find healing in your life until you can give it to them. During this time, you can come and, and, and uh, you can pray. Uh, Larry will be down here as well uh, to, to meet you. You can come and say, I want to join this church, be a part of what this church is doing. And the most important thing you could ever do is to come and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. But this is your time and your opportunity. Larry's going to be down front because you probably don't want to hug and kiss on me. So uh, uh, he's going to be there. But this is your time and your opportunity. We're going to stand together as we sing.
funeral was this past week. Probably not what you expected to sing in the contemporary service this morning. I think it will be a meaningful time for all of us. Now, there's some things set up here at the front. Things may seem a little tight. I want to encourage you not to let those things be barriers for you today. If you want to come and share what God's doing in your life, come to Larry. Step around things are there. If you need to pray, step around. Grab someone. Come here this morning. But let's sing together. Just as
hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.